Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Final Fantasy X-2 episode of Normandy FM. I, of course, am Aaron Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm good. It, you know, it, the weird thing is, we're just to give some like, behind-the-scenes look for, for listeners right now, we're recording closer than we have in a long time between episodes, but it still feels like we haven't done this in a while. Trying to like refresh myself on Final Fantasy X two after being a Pokemon's ass for the past week and a half. <laughs> That's not where you're supposed to be. Just because it's Pokemon Arceus does not mean you're supposed to be in that Arceus. That's not mm-hmm. how it works, mm-hmm. Ken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this is awkward. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> Maybe our wonderful guest Jessica Howard can let us know. You're not supposed to be there. <laughs> it's not no, the right I'd... place to be. I don't I don't think so. I know there's a lot of discourse on the timeline these days about um sexy Pokemon, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. we're supposed to be there. <laughs> Jess, who's the sexiest Pokemon? Let's oh, just no. really oh, start no. off the what podcast strong. What have you done? Strong. Oh, <laughs> what have you, done? Um, you know <laughs> There's no right answer. <laughs> you know, there's... I'm I'm thinking part of me wants to shout out my good friend Monty. And and go mm-hmm. with Lucario because I was about uh, to say yeah yeah <laughs> Monty is a, a big Lucario stan um, though I I kind of like uh, oh my god why can I Decidui <laughs> but like oh. the regular version Decidui mm-hmm. he's got the whole like roguish Robin Hood thing going on right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we were we were playing last night in this Discord. Uh, just the other night, and I was running around trying to get some random items to turn in for a quest, and I saw a giant guard of war that was basically just Lady Dimitrescu mm. in Pokemon form, and I saw yeah. that, and I was like, boy, this is going to start some discourse <laughs> at some point. Mm. Mommy? Question <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of, lot of mommy characters in Pokemon Arceus. You know, I think they saw village and we're like let's get on that train that's a good train to be on it was Honestly, a game the yeah if that's going to be the next trend in gaming i'm all for it mm-hmm. we're done with the dad games it's only mommy <laughs> games now no uh, mom games we don't need we don't need bigger games we don't need bigger mm-hmm. maps and and you know like more dialogue we just need bigger ladies i mean 10 to bring it home bring it back around <laughs> we've got leblanc we got in this game <laughs> we've got we've got the content um yeah final fantasy 10 2 just tell us for the folks at home tell us a little bit about yourself and also how you got into assuming final they fantasy. didn't listen to the final fantasy 10 season <laughs> exactly exactly well, for anyone first, tuning in now first of all dear listener you should listen to the 10 episodes because uh this podcast is real good um, but also, if you um, have not heard me before on the show, uh, my name is Jessica Howard. I am an editor at GameSpot, and um, I like to think that Final Fantasy X-2 came into my life to make me gayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was, it's actually one of the first Final Fantasy games that I remember buying myself um, and it's because, like, at that point, I was already super dedicated to the series. I was like, okay, I've played, like, 5 through 10, and now I have, like, a little bit of allowance money because I'm, like, I'm at that age where, you know, like, that's you, – you earn a little bit of allowance money. You save up. You can go to go to a GameStop and buy a game. 
And I was like, this one looks pretty cool. 10 was pretty cool. Why not? <laughs> and very, very different experience uh, compared to all the final other Final Fantasy games. But I still loved it. <laughs> I feel like it also hit around the same time as, like, God, I'm trying. What year did this game come out? Uh, 2003. Okay. So <laughs> it would have been, like, like a year after Kingdom Hearts came out. Mm. So I was like starting to get into like that like fandomy like I don't know. I was I was more it wasn't just like about playing a game. It became more of like being part of like that Final Fantasy fandom, right? right. Um so I was getting more like hyped into that stuff. Um and then on top of that too, it was also around the same time that um there was a lot of like this girl power uh, stuff going like the Charlie's Angels movie had oh, come out around yeah, that time, yeah, yeah, and I remember yeah. liking that so much. And in retrospect, you realize it's because like, oh yeah, I was I was a little gay, <laughs> but at the time you're just like, wow, I just really love watching these beautiful women for some reason. <laughs> um, and I also lived in England at the time too, so like Spice Girls were a thing. Mm. Um, and so yeah, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting. An interesting game uh, in the context of my life. And it's such a different game from a lot of stuff that was coming out at the time, too. Like, I, I think back to stuff like Final Fantasy X, and that was the very classic, you know, love story. It was the romance Final Fantasy. It was the Romeo and Juliet Final Fantasy. But here, it is that Charlie's Angels. It's a heist movie. It's uh, a road trip you know, it's it's almost like Final Fantasy fifteen, but instead of just guys being dudes on the road, it's just gals being pals <laughs> on the road. <laughs> it's so funny because like it's just such like an anime beach episode <laughs> to play. Mm -hmm. Like you play and it really has that feeling. It's like I don't really know like what what they were, were trying to do, but you know, I'm into it. I'm into this fan servicey stuff. I'm into I'm into the vibes. Um I'm I'm along for this this girl, you know, road trip. It's fun. <laughs> and the wild part is, you know, I've I've played in across my career in the the video game industry, let's say, I have played many a video game, demoed and, you know, like tried out for coverage and stuff. And that has included games like Senrin Kagura and all that mm -hmm. and somehow 10-2 even though you would think that it would go in that direction never quite becomes a Senrin Kagura game or anything like that it it stays very much like campy fun not really overly I, I keep thinking back to the hot springs part <laughs> that we talked about in a recent episode and how that could have easily just been this typical anime peeping Tom sort of situation. And instead it was this like fun moment between the gals hanging out and having a fun time. And no, also I'm, there I'm are some high pillow nearby. They're just hanging out, you know, they're having a good time too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you say that though, because it's so true. That was one thing when I was like playing and, and kind of like revisiting it, I was like, it really doesn't feel male gazy, mm -hmm. which is what I was kind of expecting is like you go back into this game where it's like, you know, these three attractive women. And I was kind of expecting to feel that more <laughs> going back mm. to it. But that's kind of the interesting and cool thing about Final Fantasy X too, is it actually really 
doesn't feel that way. Like, I don't know what the production team looked like. I'm sure it was the vast majority men. Um, But, like, interestingly enough, it doesn't feel as, like, icky as it could have very easily felt. Right. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about with Nate in the last episode, was it, like, I I feel like there's been a certain, and and we talked about this, I think, broadly with the original 10 as well, is it, like, you know, certain ideas about what a game or any piece of media is kind of gets boiled down to, like, the most simple bullet points you can put on it, and I think a lot of the nuance of, like, what something is actually portraying is often lost in that, and I think it, like, a lot of people do kind of look back on 10 too. It's like, you know, this, you know, this fan servicey girls game kind of bullshit when that's not, like, it's really not what the game is ever doing. Like, and if that was what Square Enix was going for, then they, like, kind of actively failed on the way to getting there because the game just has this level of, you know, I, I guess respect for everyone involved and yeah, an awareness of how these things probably could have come off, but they managed to be subversive in ways that are really respectable, I think. Yeah, it's weird. They really did a very good job with towing that line between making something that's like, you know, like the pink big pen girl game type thing mm-hmm. or making something that was super male gazy. Um, and they made something that felt different and respectful and interesting and fun. Um, so I don't know. Kudos to, to the team who made this game because it really is a, a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I'm just I'm looking back over these notes and and thinking back to to some of these moments and yeah it is such it's a game of of wide contrasts but not like contrasts of good and bad but just so many different ideas you know serious plot beats and and moments of of dark emotional stuff balanced out by just like the campiest fun in mm. this game uh, so let's start with that because while we do have Oh, oh, wait, we forgot, Ken. We don't have it in our notes. That's why I almost forgot. But I guess we've already done the the Titus Titus question last season. But we do have to ask, <laughs> Jess, do you have yeah. a favorite dress sphere? Oh, I don't know. That's really hard. I like, I'm going to like look at them real quick. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. I, I will say that to to vamp for time on the podcast for the hashtag content as we do uh i got that dark knight dress sphere in in this episode actually in this playtime and that one on pain is quickly becoming one of my favorite ones that one is I, real real sick i feel like i've cooled on it playing through it this time in a way that was very surprising to me we'll get to that i really like black mage yuna Mm. And I, maybe it's just because it's so different from like the summoner white magey right. type, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, vibe that she usually gives off. But like, I don't know. I actually like the black mage on all of them. Um, and then I also do like. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I'm going to go with Black Mage Yuna to because so that we, we can move on. And <laughs> I'm not sitting because I could I could talk about it. And, like, look at these all day. <laughs> but I, I do like the Black Mage on all the girls. I think that Black Mage Yuna is really cool. Mm-hmm. Riku, I feel like I always have as, like, a gunner. So that I just kind of associate that with her now. That's that's interesting. You don't have Yuna on, on gunner as often as you have Riku there? Or? Yeah, I don't know why. But I feel like whenever I look at, like, the gunner outfit for Riku, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, like, just what mm. I have her in. Mm. Interesting. That's... I've been thinking about swapping over because I've had Yuna on Gunner 
slash songstress for so long. But honestly, mm-hmm. like Gunner is, it's fine. It's doing kind of okay. But I, I'm at the point where I'm starting to master out dress spheres and finish mm-hmm. them out. And so I need to think about what else they're going to do. And I was kind of thinking about swapping Yuna over to Black Mage because Riku has been my Black Mage, but she's also been my White Mage. <laughs> and mm-hmm. having to swap between those two leads to a lot of stress in some battles, let's say. <laughs> so uh, I might look into that. I might check out some Black Mage Yuna, see if that works with my party composition. That's why I like this game. You can just free flow and switch things up if you want. More games need job systems. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's my stance. Uh, bigger women and job systems. <laughs> We're making the perfect game on this podcast. I hope developers are listening. Tend to, but bigger women, uh, job system. What else do we need? No, no open world stuff. Are we calling that off? Do we need a paraglider? Every game has paragliders <laughs> these days. Breath Gotta have wild. some sort of uh, fancy mode of transportation that's yeah. for sure we we get rid of brother completely and instead <laughs> they just have a paraglider that takes them across spira we've solved it we've done it um, that's i honestly i'm fine with that you know brother at times gets a little uh, a little minetta ish for my yeah. liking so. oh god yeah mm. <sighs> we don't have time to go into my hero academia <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Brother is just a very uh, anime nosebleed character. Um, Extremely. Yeah, yeah, so I'm fine with that. We can, we can swap him out for a, a glider. Uh, speaking of anime-type characters, before we head off to Guado Salam with our fancy, schmancy, LeBlanc syndicate uniforms, we, we got to do some few others, some side quests on the way there. And we stop off at the Moonflow because Tobley... Is, is here and freaking out because he's trying to push tickets for this show and they're not pushing. He's not getting them across. So we got to take up the mantle and sell some tickets. Uh, another one of these weird examples of doing something interesting and novel with the framework of Final Fantasy X in mm. a previous game where you, I mean, the closest I can think of was you had the barter system with Yojimbo, and then you also had, uh, well, there was bartering with Blitzball players and trying to get their contracts and all that, but um, basically we have to find people who we think might be down to A, go to this show, and B, pay the highest premium for it you know we get to kind of name our price and in the extra we get the profits uh if you do this right if you get a good cut if you sell all the tickets and all that you do get a garment grid and some accessories as a bonus but this was just kind of a cool little side quest that i don't know took an area that is fairly static and made you kind of recontextualize it think about it in a different way uh look at all the different people there and approach it in a different manner. So I thought this was a cool little thing out of all the side quest things that we do here. Cause mm. there's not a ton of like ground breaking earth shattering side quest stuff we're going to do in this section. <laughs> mm. But this one I did actually like, uh, how'd you feel about it? Ken? Uh, hustling people stresses me out. Like, really? Well, like, you know, luckily we had the guide. So like, it's fine. But I do remember back in the day. Cause like, I mean, it feels kind of arbitrary. Cause I mean, like you're just, you know, guessing, about how much you can get out of these people. Um, but, and, and, you know, it was also, like, that's tied to percentage completion. That, that, that is, you know, just a 
broader things like when everything is tied to you possibly getting a possible like you know the, the quote-unquote best ending mm-hmm. things get more stressful that would otherwise be kind of benign um but yeah it, it's it's fun like it, it, it but it is like like again like it stresses me out to have to like try and gauge how much i can possibly trick somebody into paying me for shit hustling it's not hustling they're paying you what they want to pay you Ken. <laughs> if someone's not gonna pay two thousand for a ticket they're not gonna pay two thousand for a ticket you're not yeah, nobody's but, being tricked oh well yeah but like, okay they're that's not true that's not, that's not true <laughs> i just i should have thought of that shit when i was like a girl scout you know mm-hmm. right Be like right? actually um thin mints are twenty dollars now i don't know what's oh. up with that but yeah, that's not that's above my pay grade that's not my call <laughs> i I'd pay twenty bucks for a box of Thin Mints. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm not. I'm not doing that for any of the the tag alongs or whatever. Mm. But Thin Mints, woo, they're so good. <laughs> In the freezer? Are you kidding me? Can they? If at twenty bucks they should that's arrive pre frozen. That's how. It, that's how it should work. Is I get a pre frozen box of Thin Mints. Just come in like one of those blue apron boxes with all the ice packs. <laughs> exactly. And like a little thing of like vanilla ice cream next to it. So oh, I just mix it all together. There you go. I wanted to or, ask though also, did did y'all notice Tobley's voice? And did it like stand out to you? If, what about Tobley's voice? Is he played by somebody prominent? Yes. I So I was listening and I was like, this is driving me crazy. Who is this? Like, who is this voice actor? Um, it's Rob Paulson, who is oh, like a re- what? Yeah, I was I was floored. So like Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, and like he's Carl from Jimmy Neutron, uh, and Yakko from Animaniacs. Yeah, and the, I mean, well, it all comes full circle because we had Ash Paulson on the show for our Final Fantasy Ten season. There oh. we go. We have, we have come full circle there you now. Go. But <laughs> We've yeah, closed it, the loop. <laughs> it was so funny. I was listening to him. I'm like, why does this voice sound so familiar? I'm like, oh, because this is Yakko from Animaniacs. Yeah. Well, well then. Just throw and wait around. Just, they knew back then when they were making this, they're like, one day there will be a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the prophecy anyway. will be fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> just just a fun fact for those at home who might be playing along. Because, yeah, it was one of those things where it's was like, I know this voice. So if you did the same thing and you were like, who is this person? That's who it is. Incredible. Well, we don't have as much fun at the Thunder Plains because we go there just Holy to play a freaking minigame. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Simon did, says did you, minigame. Did you finish it? No. I did okay. I, I did like one round of it and was like, nah. This is like consistently... <laughs> The point where every time like I play the game, I'm like, okay, I want to do 100%. I want to get everything. This is always the roadblock that it first hits me. And I'm like, you know what? The good ending is fine. <laughs> so it's... The, I, I'm trying to remember, because I don't remember exactly which one is which. I know Yuna has the memorization one. But then Pain has three falling down. But there's something about, like, there's a spark indicating it. I don't mm. remember Riku's. Is Riku's, like, the same... It's like it's, it's just it's, it's just uh repeat the one the button you see it's a simon says type yeah. thing yeah um and you just run around hitting buttons on different towers different lightning rods and stuff and you do get a garment grid out of it but at this point doing the completion percentage that we are doing for this podcast i am a wash in garment grids mm-hmm. that i don't even really pay attention to because you know, for the most part, I've kind of kept to the ones that I've right. liked once I found them. I think I did change up 
somebody's because we now have these garment grids that are like four spheres on a grid and they each have a gate that every time you pass through it you get a pretty good stat boost and it gives you a base stat boost too i like those ones a lot Mm. um but then pain is just on the unerring path because pain is really only ever on two classes for me and i i i'm really not swapping around dress spheres much outside of my like white mage character so it's Mm. i don't know do you find that useful at all, Ken? Do, I mean, A, do you find Thunder Planes useful, but B, do you find like the garment grids that we're picking up very useful? Uh, no to the first one. As for the second one, I've kind of, I, as the game goes on, and kind of just generally, I think anytime I play this game, I am less concerned about like the effects of different garment grids and more just like what has enough slots or mm. is laid out in a way that I can easily get to anything that I need to at any given point. Because like right now, I primarily well no except for you know i've got her i got her going between four different uh dress spheres but with pain and riku i've got them on garment grids that have only three spots and they are set up in a way where you can get to anything from any other dress sphere so right. if it, for me it's just a matter of like being able to efficiently get from one thing to another more so than it is the effects that these uh garment grids have because honestly like those rarely ever play into the strategies of what i'm doing like if i i am more concerned with the the uh the dress fair that i'm on and what i can do in the moment more than passing through trying to unlock other abilities when i could just instead spec a character out into one of the dress fairs that has that you know naturally rather than worrying about it uh being something i unlocked through the, the grid just do you use like what kind of garment grids do you find yourself drifting towards do you shift around dress spheres a lot do you look for specific things in them Honestly, I'm kind of like Ken. I keep it pretty simple. Um, I tend not to. And, like, I think that's just, like, honestly how I play games. I tend to get overstimulated and, like, Mm -hmm. over... um, I don't know. I just... I don't like... I think that's why I stay away from, like, a lot of really huge open world games or a lot of games with, like, different... Like, a million types of currencies, right? Or, like, crafting and, like, a million other... Like, I I don't know. Like, when I have too much going on, it overwhelms me or even too many stats and stuff like that. So I tend to be very simple... (laughs) Yeah. So I'm a bad person to play if you if you like want the pro strats, right? Like, because I don't play my games like that a lot unless I like have to for some reason. Um, but yeah, so I tend to stick to kind of more of like the triad type ones. Mm. I looking at this game, and and this is something I was thinking about with ten as well. But at ten two, if I was to do like a Final Fantasy remake type situation with this game, uh it would obviously be like an action style game. I'd want this to just be full on action, but I, I'd want to kind of encourage a reason for swapping dress spheres because as the game is where it is right now, uh, I don't feel like there's a huge reason that I need to swap dress spheres outside of just accessing a completely different set of tools. So say mm-hmm. like, Oh, I literally have no reason even if you have warrior and you're up against something that is really only taking magic damage, warrior has a ton of abilities that do magic damage anyways, mm-hmm. or can be breaking in some way or something like that. So, yeah, it's definitely a smart system that like I I could, I don't know. It's not so complicated that it's something that would overwhelm me. Like certain things do. I don't know. It's something that I could get into. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I think that if they did incentivize people more to do that, um, I would probably play around with a little bit more because it is fun. Mm-hmm. 
I think something that I, I mean, and we'll get to this later in the show, like a time where I, a time where I really utilized what I'm, like the concept I'm about to talk about. Like, I have often found, especially like with support classes like the White Mage, I am often using those as like kind of a setup for something else that I can like switch into. Like, for example, I'll, I'll use Riku as a White Mage to set up defensive stuff such as you know shell and reflect or whatever. Um, but by doing that and, you know, decreasing, uh, magic damage, I'm also decreasing the effectiveness of her healing magic. So what I end up started doing is I'll set up those defenses and I'll switch to alchemist. And then I will use the, uh, the item abilities that you have through that to kind of like take on, uh, the, the same support role, but without being, uh, kind of hamstrung by all the defenses I've put up. And I think it's, for me, it's less about the game, like incentivizing me to change. It's more about like me trying to find ways that these different classes can work together to create just, like, the most efficient, like, defense or offense that I've got. Because, mm. like, um, it, that's probably, like, the most succinct example. Um, but for, for, I guess another example, is like, I have pain at this point. Like, I, I don't know if it's at this point in the show, but, like, at this point in my playthrough, um, I have pain primarily on Berserker. And, because that is, like, one of the higher damage-dealing um, classes, I think, only really rivaled by Dark Knight, but the difference in speed is always why I prefer Berserker in the first place. And if I need elemental damage, that's when I switched back to Warrior because she's got all those elemental attacks. So yeah, like I think, especially after Chapter Two, you know, that's what we're talking about. Like, because I think there's a certain well, I, granted, I watched Eric play it, and he's apparently way over leveled, so it did not might not have signaled to him <laughs> the same as it did does to most people who play this game. But, like, there's very definitively like a boss that we're gonna fight in this episode that is usually the signal of like the difficulty spike um mm -hmm. and because i think like in chapter three and in chapter five like that's when you're really having to deal with like switching it out into other spheres and you know really adapting on the fly to a lot of more uh scenarios that you didn't necessarily have to worry about in the early chapters mm -hmm. yeah i i think the thing i most would have wanted is for some encouragement you know either through maybe class combos or getting follow-ups in some way. Like, you know, if you go from one dress sphere into another right now, the only encouragement is passing through a gate might get you a stat boost or something like that, or open up access to an ability, uh, which is kind of a novel idea, like universally unlocking white mage spells on a character by swapping through other dress spheres uh, on their, on their garment grid is kind of neat. But then in practice, it's like I have to spend four turns going through my garment grid just to get access to this other class that I could have mm -hmm. just had otherwise if I was just swapping between classes. So uh, it's a really cool conceptual system that I just don't feel compelled to use quite yet. But maybe maybe in three and five, I will be challenged enough to, to have to do it that way. We will see, uh, as Ken noted, and we'll talk about in this episode once we get there. I may have power leveled myself a bit on accident uh, and be extremely over leveled for the part I'm at in the game. Well, who knows? Who's to say? Um, anyways, uh, we leave uh, Thunder Plains. Well, we also find Sid. Uh, and I guess I should have really done this. I think I actually missed this part of finding Sid. I hope that does not ruin anything from my playthrough. Um but Riku lets Sid have it, I suppose, Ken? Uh, they basically just ignore him and ah. mm. walk by. 
Mm. See, I can't imagine it would have that big of an impact because he's just kind of sulking there. I think he even says, like, just let me sulk. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Yeah. This is one of those games where you think something doesn't matter much and then you end up missing a trigger for (laughs) some quest like three chapters down the line. So I'm just paranoid about it at this point. So we'll see. Who knows? Someone listening to this podcast is going to be like, no, Eric, you missed. That was the critical story trigger for a chapter five reveal of a major character. And I'll be like, oh, well, fuck, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We head to Makalania now. Uh, to look around. There, there's kind of another issue with Tobley's show carnival thing that's going on. Uh, he needs musicians. Uh, we have to search around for them, which is a, not a great mini game. I did not like this at all. Just kind of running around in the woods dealing the with monster encounters. Mm. Yeah. Not, not thrilling. Um, mm. There it's is a weird side quest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's like a weird thing of you, you find some of them and they're like smaller sprites of the normal ones. And I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but that was otherwise you just kind of get a bunch of them together and they're like, Oh, it'll be the last show because we're all doomed. The woods are disappearing and it's all over. And we're like, cool. So you'll do the show. Great. Awesome. <laughs> we'll be on our way. Yeah, that was like the the weirdest thing about it is like, so they're like going through this whole crisis because they're like, ah, oh, yeah, with like the faith disappearing, the woods are going to disappear and we're all going to die. And you're just like, mm-hmm. all right, well, I got to go back to my, my car. Well, sucks, y'all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where like the sort of episodic storytelling that they do in this game feels just like the most... Uh-huh. contrived and weird because like it's like mm-hmm. okay we're, we'll pick back up on this later but we got other shit to do we we have to we have a fucking guadalajara to infiltrate <laughs> i'm not reading all that thanks though or sorry no. i don't know <laughs> it's whatever <laughs> uh we gotta head off to xanarkand because w- once again we we get some response from some folks here uh, another reflection of our choices in the world but we don't really deal with that much because we just go deal with monkeys, the the monkeys that are just propagating in Xanarkins. Uh, so we have to play monkey matchmaker. This is another one that I just did not do. <laughs> I was really? like, I, I'm good. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make more monkeys so people will leave Xanarkin alone. Is that is that what it's about? Yeah, they're like, that's, mm. like Isaru is like. Yeah, the monkeys are harassing all the, the tourists, and so we're gonna have to close down for the day and come back tomorrow. And he heads off, and so we're like, "What if these monkeys started reproducing?" It's it's this is praxis is what we're doing here by yeah. by getting these monkeys monkeys together as so we're mm-hmm. reclaiming Xanarkin. Mm-hmm. Great, excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah I did not do this. I I want to say this was one part where I remember asking you specifically. I was like, do I need to do the Xanarkin stuff? And you're like, nah. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so this is two for zero now, blaming Ken for things on this podcast. <laughs> I don't think you actually asked me that, but okay. I thought we did. No. I thought I thought this was no. I'm thinking of to give a different recap at one of the end i remember at the end of one of these i was like hey do i need to do this and 
Maybe it was the Xanarkin one. I don't know. You do get a cool accessory, the Soul of Thamasa, which strengthens your spells but doubles your MP cost, which is not great, I guess, unless you use it with that golden hairpin uh, that like halves your MP cost. Mm. So I guess that would offset it, but now you're using two accessories just to get double spell power. I don't know. I think there's ways to be smarter in this game. So that's Xanarkand now filled with even more random. They they call them monkeys, but they look like Zabumafu from children's show Zabumafu. <laughs> I don't know. Filled with Zabumafus. Uh, what do y'all say we finally infiltrate Guado Salam and get into the meat and potatoes of this episode? <laughs> I We gotta. Uh, we, we show up. Uh, we we have our uniforms on. We are looking the part, uh, and we head on into the actual Guado Manor. I guess we'll call it where mm-hmm. where Seymour and the rest of the family had once lived. Uh, the portraits are still on the walls. This is basically the the Guado White House, if you will, <laughs> the Guado State House, and. LeBlanc and company have basically set up shop here. This is their new headquarters because, as we know, the Guado have left Guado Salam, and now it's basically just a home for Wayward Souls and also the LeBlanc Syndicate. So we're infiltrating it to get some revenge for them taking our broken Xanarkin sphere. And as we're infiltrating in our super awesome uniforms, out walks Nuge. Nuge is here hanging out with LeBlanc. They're they're being mm. all well, she's being lovey dovey. He's being a bit like, okay, yeah, sure. Moderately whatever. less stoic than he normally is. Yeah. I I very much like from the outset, this relationship dynamic yelled to me, he is getting what he wants out of this relationship, and she is like ride or die on this. She has a literal statue of this dude in her bedroom. (laughs) And he felt very much like, cool. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for getting me the info I needed. Bye. And she's like, Oh, bye. I'll see. I'll see you soon. Mm. Bye. And I was very much like, Ooh, Oh, Oh, that's not going great for LeBlanc there. (laughs) Yeah. She's struggling about it. Mm -hmm. I think to some degree, I think like, that's a game long thing we'll unpack but yeah yeah she is in her feelings right now because she doesn't feel like she's doing enough for him even though he said thank you then this was helpful so anyways we head on in we find logos and ormi they're hanging out in a little like dining area and they're talking about how different leblanc is when nuge is here and logos is like hey hey scrub newbie it's your turn go go help leblanc out do what you do best and we're like okay what is that more specific what does that entail it's like get up there go upstairs and do your job (laughs) okay we we keep going upstairs everyone's talking about this this job there's there's someone upstairs the guards like oh hey you know good luck buddy (laughs) you know trying there we head on into LeBlanc's bedroom where uh, she does have a giant statue of this dude just hanging out. That's, I, you know, I usually just commission art, but here we've got a full-blown statue out here. 
I mean, uh, people express love in different ways. I'm just sidebar. Okay. <laughs> Can we sidebar real quick before sure. we get into the real part that I'm <laughs> vamping to here? Um, <laughs> before we get into the mini game, uh, when Nuge and LeBlanc are, are leaving and, and there's been some information exchanging, is there an implication that they had done some deeds before this? Is there an implication I, that there was that going on? I don't know. Part of me feels like yes, and then part of me... Because, like, that's... I don't know. That's the question and on everybody's mind there, I think. Because <laughs> I don't know if he's, if he's, you know, appeasing her in that way. Mm. Or if he just dangles it over her. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do hate that. We you know, it's it's terrible. Can they mm. they banging, they doing? I have to imagine like who who gets a statue made for somebody that's not taking them down? I mean, look at the many people getting anime body pillows and such. Is is this the anime body pillow of Spira is mm. the bronze statue? And with the implica okay. <laughs> God, what a conversation this is going to be. Um, with the implication that someone is being sent to her room to, quote unquote, game's words, please her uh-huh. after this man leaves, I feel like she's got some blue balls. So I don't mm. know. Oh, okay. Much to consider. The, the reason, the reason I bring this up is because if the implication is true, if the deed is done, this... Either this dude's a narcissist or is just, I don't know, knows he's he's hanging out with crazy because he's they're they're doing the deed in a room where there's a giant life-size bronze statue of himself. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a power move or what, but that would speak deeply to Nuge's psyche, if so. So that that's what profoundly bothered me about this statue. I was like, that statue is there while anything Watching. is going down in this bedroom. <laughs> Anyways. Like we, uh, we, I mean, like in like if, to bring it back for a second, like we are joking, but like there's clearly like a power dynamic issue that like, I, I mean, we kind of joked that like Nuge is very stoic and seems like at the very least less caring or into this as she is. Mm-hmm. But like, broadly as the game goes on i think there's still like i i i feel like there is like a genuine connection there even if one person's just more stoic in the showing it yeah yeah i think early on i really got the sense of a like here is one character that is fawning over another a little bit and mostly because you nuge leaves and you get the impression that leblanc is very into nuge but you don't really and it's kind of played for jokes a few times, but you don't really get to see the impression that Nuge is as into LeBlanc in this section. And so I, that's what I kind of walked away from chapter two with was, you know, she is obviously diehard into this dude, but Mm -hmm. is he as into her? And I think like that is up in the air. And I, and I think like, as we go on, we're going to learn more about Nuge and why I, it's not even necessarily, I think that he would not be into her. It's just more, I think he is at a certain point in his life where he is checked out of a lot of parts of his life, mm. um, trying to accomplish something, but also is like aware that he 
doesn't think he's going to make it make it out of all of this alive. So it's kind of like trying to like make ties not as or like as not leaving as strong ties as he can, I guess. Mm. For like yeah, a kind of putting up that that wall there because mm-hmm. there's no point mm-hmm. in making those connections, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, honestly, even as kind of like what we see Yuna do to a certain extent in ten with with mm-hmm. Titus, yeah, yeah, doesn't want to get too close because there's other stuff going on that that has to happen. So you know what has to happen here, right? <laughs> we got to satisfy LeBlanc. We, what a mini game we get into with barely any explanation of what's going to happen. They don't even let you trial run this thing. It's are you going to satisfy LeBlanc or not? I kind of like that there's no <laughs> trial here. Right. You don't get like a here's how this game works. Give it a try. Okay, now here's the real thing. No, you are, you are trying to infiltrate here, and that means you're going to have to do your best job pretending to be a masseuse and either satisfy LeBlanc's needs or break her back in the less satisfying way. <laughs> it is one or the other. And what a freaking mini game to play in the year 2022 <laughs> sitting here. Oh my God, they did this. I mean, what a thing to play in 2003 when the PS2 was not in your room. It was in your sister's. And I I don't know how to explain this to her. I don't know. I, I, I don't look at me. I didn't make this. Game. I didn't make this happen. I didn't know this was happening when I rented the game. And this is I, not a back of the box feature. And honestly, like it kind of worked out in a in a weird way because I think if somebody had heard it for like because she was in the room when I was playing it, and I think if nobody had been in the room when I was playing it and only heard it from the outside, it would have been even weirder. And they're like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I'm like, I don't like this. Is, this is worse. I don't know how to explain it, because like she sees the cutscene like wa- like get like working up to it. So now she like knows to some degree the context. So like she can be like, what the fuck? This is weird. And we can be like, yeah, this is weird. And, like we know this together collectively instead of somebody walking in. Being, Everybody like, in this, this room agrees this yes. is weird. That that is a bold strategy. You know, everyone has the story about they're watching something on a television and it gets to a controversial, let's say, part. It gets to a thing you would not want someone to walk into the room and see you watching, and someone walks into the room and sees you watching it. You're like, oh, God, I can explain, but the actual, no, let me back up and show you the context, and you will understand. (laughs) That's the bold move right there. (laughs) Sit down next to me. I'm going to rewind this. Um, Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first played this. Because I feel like it's so traumatizing that it just stands out in your memory. Um, mm-hmm. I was playing. I was supposed to be asleep because it was like a school night and I was 10 oh, years no. old. I had a PlayStation in my room, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was playing. I had the volume not not up like super loud. Right. But like I I think my bed was I, I had like a little like twin size bed because like I said, I was like 10 years old. And my TV mm-hmm. was like kind of like in front of it, you know, on like a dresser or something like that. Um, and I was sitting there playing and I nearly yanked my PlayStation Mm -hmm. 2 off my dresser, trying to get up and turn the volume all the way down, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. because I was like, oh my God, it's like, I, my parents are going to walk in here and you know, at this point you don't even have internet on your phone. So they're going to be like, what, what's going on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's, what's on your television right now? But, um, nobody, nobody did stop by nobody heard i don't think uh but it wasn't it wasn't good i was very embarrassed 
Yeah, I uh, I was renting this, and I I throughout my entire uh life growing up until I left for college. Uh, well, I guess and before he was born, but that was only like two years of it. I shared a bedroom with my little brother, and uh yeah this was one of those moments real quick where i had to to check around to make sure no one was around and find the mute button on the tv real quick (laughs) that was once i realized what was going down like what the actual situation was it was very much like a oh god (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, like got those those stories like and mm -hmm. you know and whether it's like you know a TV show or a movie or something, but like I remember, like there are so many times in games because like this is around the time when when my mother started to give a shit about what me and my brother were playing, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily because like we as kids had done anything wrong, but more it's like you know that was the the frenzy that parents were having at the time. It was like oh we need to be paying attention to what our kids are playing because I remember stuff like the the uh, Navon boss fight in Devil May Cry three where mm-hmm. you know she's topless but like her hair's covering covering her sis and like i had seen that i think in an episode of x play or something and as soon as i like i was playing the game in the living room and as soon as i i got the inkling that was where the, the game was about to go i literally like turned it off just before she like was revealed and my mother was in the room so <laughs> you know I it was remember, a stressful time to be playing video games it really was because like i even remember um the sims <laughs> Like, I would play mm-hmm. The Sims, and um, whether it was the first one or the second one, like, either one of those, I would have been living at home and, like, still not wanting my parents to see um, my Sims having sex. Uh, I just remember, like, literally, like, turning off my monitor. Mm-hmm. I would, mm-hmm. like, time it. I'd be like, I'd turn it off, like, wait, like, 10 seconds. I'd be like, okay, they've got to be finished by now. Turn it back on. My, uh, by the time I would have been playing Mass Effect, the, or at least Mass Effect 2, not Mass Effect 1. I don't think I had this problem in Mass Effect 1. The TV was in the game stations and stuff were still back in my bedroom. But by the time I was in uh, high school and would have been playing Mass Effect 2, uh, the TV and the game stations were in this kind of like... I feel like this is a, a very Southern thing. I don't know. But having that part of your house that is kind of next to the entryway that's for like gathering, like a parlor or something like that. Um, that's, that was kind of what became our hangout spot. So it was like designated that that was where, when, when friends came over, we all hang out there and it had all the, the computers and the game stations in there and stuff. So people would all play there and congregate in there. We had an old couch in there and stuff. Uh, and so I was playing Mass Effect 2 on that and it was in wide view of just everyone in the house if they went anywhere within like the main section of the house they could look down the hallway and see what was on that tv and that was a real moment of me going okay you know what i am in high school i am playing an m-rated video game if something happens on the screen i am i am a goddamn adult (laughs) (laughs) and you can you can take onus with it or not but i am playing this video game so that was that was a liberating moment for myself of being like Mm. no you know what mom dad i am i am 16 years old or whatever it was and i'm playing this video game <laughs> very different from the the mute button of final fantasy 10 <laughs> um but yeah we end up playing this mini game where we kind of have this three by three grid that uh shows the different i guess parts of leblanc's back and we have to do kind of a minesweeper hunt for the good spot uh once we find the good spot it kind of resets the whole board 
And so, I mean, I just kind of would hit in the center and then kind of branch out in different directions mm-hmm. and play hot and cold with it. Um, yeah. And the idea is you want to get a certain score. Each good spot is, is on a scale of ouch bad to that's, that's it. Keep hitting it to, <laughs> and you want, you want the points, you want the good points. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm describing anymore. <laughs> you want the good points. <laughs> and if you if you hit it right enough times, uh, you'll get both. I, do you not get the conversation if you don't clear this? Do no, you only you get it if you clear this? Yeah. I mean, she passes out from mm-hmm. how good it is literally screaming into a fade to black and uh you get like a short little conversation where she kind of talks about nuge and oh you know he's got such a wall built up and i want to break through it i want to give him everything he wants and uh he's looking for vegna gun you know oh so we're back to the actual plot plot and uh then she passes out from how good Yuna's massage is. If, if we hurt, which the this. best little moment of that too is when she does that, and Yuna just like looks at her hands and is like, "Wow, I'm like really good." Yeah, I, have I, power. I never knew I could do this. Didn't know I had I, it in me. I can summon aeons. I can heal people, and I can pass them the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Titus, come back. <laughs> oh man. Uh, <laughs> you heard it. You heard of the Gunbreaker class in Final Fantasy XIV. Welcome to the Backbreaker. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, LeBlanc falls asleep, and Locos and Ormi come up. Which you also have to then wonder. You know, the noises that LeBlanc is making have to be echoing throughout the Guado State House at this point. And Logos and Ormi come up and they're like, oh, she fell asleep. Dang it. We had something important, you know. Oh, well, you know, newbie, good job at being a good masseuse. Go make sure the super secret switch panel is working (laughs) Uh, because this is a very good criminal organization. Uh, We head on down to flip the switch, which which leads to their underground base, I guess. One of those situations where I think they went well, we need more environments in this place to do right. what we want to do with this game. So let's have a secret switch. So that way we can kind of transition people into the dungeon, into the area that we want them to be in, uh, where they have all these different bedrooms and side halls and traps and stuff like that that did not exist in Final Fantasy X. So it's it's a clever way of making that happen that feels right at home with all the heist stuff that we're mm. doing. Um. But we we head in and we're like, okay, off with the uniforms. We're done with that. And of course, brother tries to call us, and brother just keeps calling and calling. And Riku just gets frustrated and yells back. And Ormi hears us is like, hey, what's up? What are you doing down here? <laughs> and we start basically a heist scene where we are going through the caverns, I guess, the the tunnels underneath the Guado State House where all these bedrooms and stuff are. Uh, and finding different things while also fighting Logos and Ormi. What I will just say is too many times. Mm. Too many freaking times. I was about to, I wanted to ask you, both of you, 
do you know how many times in this game you fight Logos and Ormi? Because, like, it is so much. Now I'm curious. Because, like, they do seem to be, like, or at least in these first two chapters, they're, like, the padding of every story segment. Because mm-hmm. you, they will, if they want to, like, put something that will get in the way of your progress, they just throw them in there with some goons. Um, I'm going to check this, actually. I was just so curious because I was like, man, like, it has to be in a Final Fantasy. I don't know. Final Fantasy games have you fight the same boss repeatedly a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like these two pop up constantly. Yeah, this one's a little extra excessive because I feel like we we fight them twice in this section, I want to say. If you do, because you go into the side room where you can get the Crimson Sphere uh, and we get some more background, basically just more stuff um about the survivors of something and uh there's four people here essentially and we kind of get some rough idea of what's going on and then we fight logos and ormi and and we fight them again later with leblanc you fight them six um, times in total oh god in two chapters almost as many times as i fought a certain boss we're coming up to in this section of the game <laughs> <laughs> um yeah Ugh, I I got real tired of them by this point. So yeah, they they run off. We we get the crimson sphere. They arm a bunch of traps. We have a goofy little scene of running from a spiked wall to hit switches, um, in which you do have to actually fail at one mm. point to get one of the switches, which is weird. Yeah, but uh, I I like the spiked wall thing just because it's goofy and fun yeah. and whatever it's it's a heist like this game was doing heists before persona 5 got the idea for an <laughs> rpg heist game get on their level persona i'm just kidding i like persona but <laughs> um we finally open up some more pathways and we face off with logos ormi and leblanc who has woken up from her nap that we put her in <laughs> and uh this fight, I think, was maybe the hardest of the ones that I had played in this entire section. And granted, later fights were not as tough because I was super leveled. But at this point, the no love lost move plus LeBlanc using stuff like not so mighty guard and all that. Uh, this was pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Logos has Russian roulette, I think it is, where he can just randomly kill a character outright with a single shot and all that. It is... This was a this was a tough battle. I struggled yeah. on this one. It's I, I a think pain it, in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think it needs to be like, look, like we said, you you fight these guys like six times in the whole game, but this is going to be the last time. And I think they mm-hmm. need to like really make them feel formidable. Because like when they they for the longest time they have been you know our our rival spear spear hunters, and it's been played for last, and that's been fun. But I think if they are going to make the transition now into allies. They need to like mm-hmm. kind of go off on like a really strong antagonistic note, I guess, before like, they make that transition. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And you, you want to have you know the idea of their boss battle concept of them being kind of the antithesis of you, also having their own like team up moves and mm-hmm. stuff like that, working together in unison, kind of three different classes that all uh, boost each other up. I you know. It's it's cool to have a little cap off, but this yeah. was a tough one where I was having to really think about how I wanted to use my dress spheres and do I want to heal? Do I want a songstress? Do I want to 
have Payne keep focusing on breaks on certain characters, even though they were getting dispelled and stuff like that. It was it was fairly challenging. It was mm-hmm. a good time. Um, just I don't know how you felt about the the difficulty here or whatever, but. It was one of those, so when I was a kid, I hated this fight. I remembered mm. it being, like, struggling with it so much and being stuck. And I was like, oh, I'm going to come back to it, and I bet it's so easy. And it still like, was mm. kind of hard. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of a hard fight. So, like, it took me a couple times. But, yeah. We get it done. We we yeah. move on because we're Normandy FM, and we beat bosses <laughs> here. <laughs> Pro gamers, all of us. <laughs> At this point, I don't... We are professional. Wait, I don't know. I don't know if we're we're gamers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we we move on finally after beating them up one more time. Um, and I'm suddenly losing track of where we are in the notes. There it is. Um, and after beating them up enough, LeBlanc is like, "Okay, okay, calm down. Fine, you can look at the sphere." Um, and we, we watch it and we see footage of Vegna gun and their troops kind of patrolling around it, guards, and we can clearly tell that it is Bevel. They're somehow under Bevel. Uh so Yevin is probably super aware of Vegna gun mm. and has been for a while. Um, but Riku does point out that it is Machina. So if we wanted to stop Vegnagun, all we got to do is get up there and start ripping out parts and we should be fine. Um, Nuge wants to destroy it, but LeBlanc is like, you know, what do you want to do with it? You're the high summoner. You should have Spira at heart. You should be doing the good for Spira. And Yuna's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. And LeBlanc's like, cool. I'm going on your shit then. (laughs) <laughs> let's we're pals now we're yep. teaming up uh which is a very good way of them just immediately being like okay sorry about we're done with this. all those times yeah i kind of like it i don't yeah, know i, I think it's too. a fun way to take these characters not have them be a constant thorn in your side have them mm-hmm. turn around in this chapter it's fun i like it um we get some yuna narration again about well i guess the eternal calm is really not eternal. Uh, there is still conflict in Spira, even with Sin gone, uh, which is kind of an interesting note that I think this game starts to build up is we, we've talked about this a few times already, but uh, this is a good time to hit it again is, you know, what do we build now that Sin is no longer this threat? And it's almost like with Sin gone, there's still this desire for conflict and to get ahead and to have power and Vegna gun is just one more way that that can happen. You know, I'm not, I will say as a story beat, I think the whole, actually there was an even greater power hidden deep within the earth and all that. I I don't know if I'm wild about that Mm -hmm. idea, like conceptually, I think some of the places will end up going with it, especially how it ends up relating specifically to what Yuna is seeing through the spheres and all that is, is a little bit more novel and interesting, but I think just them being like, Oh yeah, there was an Omega weapon hidden underneath. Cause it, it's basically the ultimate weapon slash Omega weapon. They're like, yeah, it's, there's a super powerful Machina hidden under the ground all this time and is super dangerous and whatever. But it is this way for them to be like, 
even with sin gone, humans can still create conflict and that's going to create problems. And where does Yuna fit into all of this is a question we're going to have to start dealing with too. So uh, Ken, how are you feeling about the Vegna gun conflict becoming the core part of this story? I honestly, like I didn't necessarily view it as kind of them being like, Oh, there's this uh, greater evil. Cause I don't think it's necessarily portrayed as like on the scale of sin, at least at this point. Um, mm. But I did, I, I do, because, like, I, I wrote my notes, like, it makes me think back to, like, what Seymour said as he was being sent, was that, like, sin is not, like, the end of the rot within Spira. Mm. And I think Vagnagun as a, like, as, as a concept, like, as a machina, something that is at least down to earth and, like, still, like, you know, it, it's something that's created by people and, like, just kind of acknowledges that, like, even without sin, there is still conflict within, like, you know, like, grounded earthly conflict it does not have to be you know a fucking whale monster that flies around spirit fucking shit up and mm-hmm. so i think i like it as like uh, as a more smaller scale threat honestly it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like sin levels of dangerous to me at least as far as they portrayed it at this point mm-hmm. jess how do you feel about Vagnagon? no i would agree with ken honestly i think that you know, they, you really can't go larger in scale than Sin. Right. And so I don't really think that they try to with it. It's more... <clears throat> oh, gosh, sorry. Like, breathe wrong. <laughs> um, so I don't really think they try to go larger with it um, as much as it is kind of trying to re... Oh, hi, Bruce. Can you, can you let me talk, buddy? <laughs> as much as they're trying to reinforce the idea that even without Sin, there's still human conflict... Mm. and you know there's still going to be like the the idea of like this eternal calm right is like kind of a naive idea right it's almost like humanity needs to evolve past mm. this we need to get the spears of longinus and cassius shut the to fuck you. up <laughs> <laughs> the spira instrumentality project ken it will work you know we'll see titus again <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's our crossover. That's our tease for the next Normandy season after we finish uh, Cyberpunk because we're just Crucially, going to be Evangelion. Yeah, uh, we're just, we're just setting it up. You know, twenty twenty four. Look forward to the Evangelion season. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I do like when we get back to the Celsius and, you know, LeBlanc and the crew are kind of just making themselves comfortable and we have a little bit of a fun moment with them trying to boss people around and brother not having any of it. And then they all kind of look to Yuna and we have a moment where LeBlanc's like, well, obviously Yuna wants to go off and save Spira, right? And Yuna's like, yeah, yeah, of course I want to do that. Why would I not want to do that? And Riku and Payne are kind of like poking fun and being, you know, like, oh, of course, Uni's the the goody goody mm-hmm. and all that. But I do feel like there's a little bit of truth under that, right. in that mm-hmm. Yuna is kind of being manipulated here into like, oh, well, clearly you want to go and save Spira. You're the high summoner. Why would you not mm-hmm. want to do that? And it is a little insidious the what what happens here, and it's also revealing that Yuna you know, still has a kind heart. You know, we think back to Final Fantasy X and that scene in, in Makalania where uh, Oren is like, Yuna does not want 
to like give anyone else her burdens. She wants to shoulder everything herself and she's going to walk in there and try to marry Seymour just to bring his injustices to light. And she doesn't want anyone else getting caught up in her plan. This kind of still feels like that same Yuna in this moment where she's like, well, of course, you know, I'm going to go save everything. And then Riku and Payne are, are kind of like, well, wait a minute, you know, hold on now. There's there's spheres too, right? We are sphere hunters now. We're not doing that whole I'm going to give my life for Spira thing anymore. Um it was it was a moment. And and we have that again at the end of the chapter where we we hit that same beat again and it's like you can feel kind of that tension between you know wanting to still be the good of Spira and and the status that she has as the high summoner versus wanting to live her own life that she can kind of determine for herself. So mm. it's uh I like Yuna in this game. I think mm-hmm. Yuna's a very compelling mm-hmm. RPG protagonist compared to most other she, characters. She's really relatable. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like figuring out who you want to be after you've broken free of what you were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um and and like her figuring out I don't know, just just like how she, I guess, balances those old ties and, and commitments and feelings right. um, mm-hmm. and with her actual desires and wants and, and the person that she wants to be. She, it's a, she's a really interesting character in this game, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So off we go. We're going to go to Bevel. We're going to find Barilai. We're going to go see Vagnagun, and we're going to rip the the circuit boards out of it. <laughs> um and when we arrive when we ugh, I can totally talk tonight. I'm totally conscious and aware and, and talkative tonight. <laughs> when we arrive, LeBlanc is like, oh, let's go get Barilai. He's just some Yevin priest dude. We can totally beat him up. And Payne's like, uh, Barilai's a lot stronger than you think he is. Uh don't underestimate him. Which I think is just a l- another little thing of being like, oh, what does pain know that right. we don't know? Um, so because we sided with the youth league and not with new Yevon, we're going to have to fight some Bevel guards on the way in to the temple here. And granted, it's not very difficult. These dudes are mm-hmm. absolute pushovers. Honestly, uh, I was barreling through these guys. Uh, but it was a cool little moment again of recognizing the choice that we had made and making me think, Oh, I wonder what this would have looked like if I had sided with Yevon instead of with the youth league, uh, and the awesome sphere and all that. Uh, mm. I wonder what that would have looked like, but we're not going to do that because we don't side with the church around here. So no. <laughs> that's not the normally FM way. No, of course not. That's, that's in our bylaws. Uh, <laughs> But apparently Barilai's missing, the ground's been shaking, bad stuff is going on, and so we head in, uh, and we head into the the Cloister of Trials, which is kind of bizarre to think about, that we just head on down to the Cloister of Trials after activating a few switches and some pillars, and we're running on... First of all, I'm annoyed that we are walking on this path. You want to get back on that fucking railroaded ship that's what i'm mad about i'm like wait we could have walked that uh, whole time like yeah. we and we use that stupid rail car instead like mm, not happy about that you know i mean 
Yuna wasn't with us when we were doing that in Final Fantasy X one. <laughs> so, like, maybe she just knew this the whole time, and Tidus was like, oh, I gotta fucking go on this rail train, I gotta put all these spheres in other different places. And meanwhile, she just walked right in there. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Yuna being down there at the Faith and Tita showing up and be like, Yuna, I'm here. I had to, I had to ride the rail car all the way here. And Yuna's like, rail car? <laughs> what? That's so what? funny. <laughs> um, yeah, we, it's just this short little thing where we can kind of run around and pick up some treasure chests. And we do see that there are a bunch of fiends in here, which is a strange thing that's, that's happening don't know why that's happening put a pin in that uh it is kind of cool to see this area again this is another one of those moments where i think just giving you a different way of moving around in a familiar environment from final fantasy 10 really works you have that moment of knowing exactly where all these different intersections and paths go and just seeing them all laid out is is fun and interesting. So I enjoyed that. I mm. thought that was in- cool and neat. But uh, we find our way on through uh, and get to the faith. And Bahamut's faith is just gone. Mm. Like, it is excavated, which, rude. Bahamut was, was busy, was doing work and <laughs> desecrating the resting site of our, our boy Bahamut is is messed up and i'm not i'm not happy about that personally i imagine bahamut's not either as we're going to find (laughs) out (laughs) um but we hop on down through this giant hole in the ground uh no fall damage this was before fall damage was invented don't worry uh and uh we're in the the tunnels that we have seen in Yuna's visions and in the spheres and everything. Uh, so apparently Vegnagun was underneath the faith this whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think that's just another way of them being like, Oh, well we need to find a place where we can transition from Bavel into this super secret facility underneath Bavel. And they were like, well, what if it was under the faith? Cause that fits. We can make that happen. Yeah. But I also think like, I mean, it does work within like the confines of the story oh, that, because yeah. like not saying, it no, doesn't. yeah, yeah. It's like that. That's a place that nobody would dare to look for anything. So mm-hmm. it does make you, it puts that seed in the back of your mind of how much has the church been in on from the beginning? Right. You know, is Vegnagun something that could have killed Sin and they, they kept it hidden? Who's to say? Who's to say? Um, we, we head on down there and LeBlanc and crew are with us. We find this massive facility with all these towers and alarms and panels and chains, like literal chains. I like that we get to grind on mm-hmm. chains down to something again. That feels like it's a reference to 10. I, I believe mm-hmm. that's a reference to 10. Uh, it's got to be. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so LeBlanc watches the exit for us while we head down to the middle area. And here's where I might have overleveled myself. So there is kind of a mini game that we do here where different towers will summon their own security bots to defend themselves. And we're supposed to hit certain ones to create panels that will lead us down a path to the way forward, right? 
mm-hmm. and getting the critical path one i think is pretty easy you just have to look for certain colors on the towers and all that and so i think you only have to do three battles with some robots to get down there if you want to really work for it though there is a path at the bottom that leads to a super good accessory but you have to fight not just one boss that you would normally have to fight otherwise you have to fight it multiple times Mm -hmm. and then fight a secret boss that appears here which is just Geos Gano from Final Fantasy X somehow showing up here. Fight him multiple times, and then you can get into it. I messed up somewhere and then tried to unmess myself up, and in the process probably fought both the Precepts Guard and the Geo Repella, the you know, the Geos Gana type thing. Probably about I fought the oversold version of oh, fuck. Precepts Guard. That's how many times I fought that thing. Was oh, I fought geez. the oversold version, <laughs> which is actually I think a little bit easier than the normal version because that one casts Magic Catalyst and then starts using spells. So that's let's talk about the fights. So we have the robot, which is just the the same blast punching robot that we've had in Final Fantasy X and Ten Two at this point. Uh, we know how to deal with that one, right? We we hit it, and we hit it with Thundera, and we move on with our lives. Um, Precepts Guard is basically the Spectral Keeper without all the sphere, like, grid moving around stuff, but it has so many status stuff they can hit you with. It can do death, it can do bio, it does demi, it does uh, slow uh, that dude is a bear to fight over and over and over again. Let me mm. tell you, <laughs> if I didn't have Excalibur on my warrior class, that would have been a very long situation. Uh, and then Geos Gano, Geos Repella, whatever, uh, just cast magic. And so all you have to do is put up reflect and mm-hmm. you can just like go, go AFK, do whatever you want, <laughs> yeah. get a drink, hang out, put your feet up. You're, you're set. You're good. Um, yeah, so I fought a ton of these, and I think I was level 27 by the time I finally gave up and went back onto the critical path, <laughs> which, as Ken will attest, watching me play was too high a level for the mm-hmm. content to come, and it might have made some fights very easy at this point. Wow. Um, I don't know. Ken, how do you feel about these bosses? having not power leveled off of them. <laughs> uh, like you said, like you can kind of use reflect and they will take care of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. But that was where I was really getting into, like I, I was saying earlier, like trying to find ways that I could make different dress spheres work together and not like give me incentive to switch between them. Cause I would, you know, throw up reflect. And by that doing that, the white mage class is kind of just null and void at that point. Cause I can't heal my, my party without healing my enemies. So then I would switch Riku over to thief which would give, like, one give her something to do, like, offense-wise, but also, like, she would be fast enough that I could just use items and stuff to heal if I needed to. But, yeah, they kind of, like, you know, a reflect kind of helped me uh, speed those fights along, and they took care of themselves. Jess, did you feel that these these fights were, were anything to write home about, or...? Um, I mean, I don't think they were anything, like, extraordinary, no. But, like, mm. they're fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're the least I think uh, impactful boss fights yeah. of this section. 
Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Like, they're not, like, it's not, like, terrible. You know what I mean? But it's just, it wasn't anything where I was like, ah. Especially compared to, like, other stuff that happens. Absolutely. So, we head further in. Uh, We keep on going through the tunnels and labyrinths and such. Uh, Platforming over various pillars and all that. And we find this weird underground jail thing and all that. And we, we get some more ideas of oh, this is kind of like that place where we saw that Titus lookalike where he was hanging out and then LeBlanc comes in and is like, hey, never mind, don't forget about that, move on. Um, and then in comes uh, Yuna being like, it's connected. Everything's connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, planting planting some seeds here, you know, for maybe it's not just about Vegna Gun, maybe the stuff that Yuna has been dealing with um, and not just seeing through necessarily spheres themselves but even through her uh songstress dress sphere mm-hmm. potentially uh mm-hmm. might be linked to all of this um and i love that logos and ormi are just like recording the entire time like they just <laughs> it in another world they would have had their cell phones out and just be recording this whole thing but they have like these camcorders or whatever that mm-hmm. ormi is walking around holding and it's goofy and i love it um, I choose to believe that it is a jackass reference because I've been thinking about jackass a lot because that new movie's coming out soon. Mm. It's a little behind the scenes for y'all as to when we're recording this episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's we, we can move around on the platforms. We can hop around on some stuff to get some accessories here uh, if we want. Um, it looks like you got the bloodless one here, Ken. Mm-hmm. Is no, that, do you find that very not very useful? No. It berserks you and poisons you. Yeah, Raven just drank by thirty. Like there are a few. Is it perma poison? Can you like Asuna that off in I, battle or that? I'm not sure about actually. But um, there are like a few accessories in this game that are like that that have like these really steep mm-hmm. like you know uh, drawbacks, but they you know will make your your character like borderline unstoppable for like the brief amount of time that they are still up and conscious. Well, even like we talked about the one thing earlier that um, I, I ended up picking up too, where it's like it doubles the MP cost, but it like super raises mm. your magic attack or whatever. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in like Final Fantasy X that's like that, which is kind of interesting because I feel like they lean harder into it in this game than in yeah, a lot. For sure. Yeah. It Overall, it feels like a game that basically starts at the end of the power curve for 10. And, you know, the, the numbers are all lower. I feel like they crank back the actual math of that game so you're not doing you know multi-thousand damage hits from the outset but you are basically at a point where end game enemies from final fantasy 10 are starting game fodder in 10 mm. and i feel it does lean into that with the idea that a lot of the things you're picking up are not just you have basic stat boosts that you're picking up but you're also picking up things that are making you you know like we were saying powerful at a cost or having you orient yourself in a way trying to circumvent and navigate around potential side effects and all that. Uh, it's a cool, it's a cool system to have even from the outset. We're still in the beginning of this game. I'd say we are in the front half of this game and we're already being given a lot of choices about how we want to have these characters stack up. I know I had one that I was, really excited because it made Riku this super powerful magic user. And then I realized she was starting to lag behind in levels compared to Yuna and pain. And I looked at it and I looked online and it was like, Oh, this accessory makes you super powerful at the cost of 
not gaining experience anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. They did that in 10 as well with the, with the celestial weapons or whatever. Uh, so there you go. That's a thing in this game too. So it's, it's cool. I like that we start there. I like games, especially RPGs that say, you know what? We don't need to do the power curve from the beginning, or we can do a more interesting version of the power curve. Um, yeah, I don't know if because it was like a spin-off game, they were just trying to be more experimental. But they're, right. I don't know. They did play a lot with like, I mean, not combat itself, but just like the way that you you like level up in the job system and with weapons and like it being, I feel like there's a lot of like status ailments and like you have to consider that stuff and like the elemental damage on weapons and things mm. or like that you're doing. So I don't know. It's really interesting because it, it is kind of intricate. Right. It, it gives, like, I was gonna say like it um it just kind of gives you all the tools and all the you know the drawbacks and obstacles that you'll have to face throughout the game like at the very start and it kind mm-hmm. of like lets you deal with them all at your own pace to some extent. Well, it's a game that because it's a sequel, it knows that you're coming in likely familiar with at least one other RPG, so it doesn't need to sit down and explain to you here's how you use a potion, here's why you probably need a gun to hit a flying enemy and things like that. It can just be like, go figure stuff out. You know, here's the new stuff that we're doing with this battle system, but it's probably better to just learn by doing in this game. And I feel like that is the approach that Ten Two takes is learn by doing. Mm-hmm. Don't just, you know, don't tell everything to the player. They can figure it out for themselves. Right. I like that. Um, we have some more lifts, some more puzzles, some goofy pillar standing stuff that we got to do. Uh, it is kind of annoying. I had to have Ken help me with one part because I just could not figure out the pillar that I missed standing on. But we do unlock the dress or sorry, the, the dark night dress sphere. Uh, one that I'm very excited about because a, I think that just suits pain to a T mm. it's a good class for her. I mean, it has one of my favorite dress sphere summoning animations where she like sinks into the ground and then crawls out of right. it with the the armor and is just standing there in this berserk ass armor with this giant sword and fantastic all around great love it want to see yeah. more of it uh to the point that I'm probably going to throw this on garment grids for the other characters just to see their uh styles and transformation mm-hmm. sequences in game but uh it's also just a really conceptually cool character that kind of mixes some ideas of doing self-harm to inflict widespread damage and having a bunch of cool abilities that cause different effects and being this weird mix of a status inflicting character using bio and things like that, as well as being a warrior class. It's, it's just an awesome design for a class that I think they, it, it feels like a, four horsemen of the apocalypse type character where you're doing pestilence and famine and death and all that. But, uh, with the warrior benefits added on and it really suits pain. So I, yeah. I like this one a lot is one of my favorites I'd say on pain. Yeah. It really I, did make her goth girlfriend. They, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, back in, like back in the day, it was one of my favorites as well. Just, and I think at that point I was young, like just so young at that time I was like, 
numbers went up when I used this because it is like one of the <laughs> most like hardest hitting dress spheres. I think now I've kind of cooled on it because it is so slow, and oh, when the, you fair, have this fair. when you have this battle system that is so about timing and about speed, and chaining abilities together. Like when you have one character who is just like naturally lagging behind, the, kind of like the rhythm and the loop of each round of turns that you have, it just kind of feels like you're not always hitting as hard as you possibly could, even with that that damage boost. Because um, I, I did end up keeping her on it for the rest of the, the Bavel section, but by the time that I got the uh, the Berserker, which we'll, I think we'll probably get next episode, um, I was like, this is fast, hits hard, and feels more in line with like the party-wide dynamic I've got going on here. Um, where mm-hmm. the Dark Knight, I just think, like, it, it almost felt like of a play style that I just not been working my way toward throughout the whole game. Ken, would you say that this battle system is about drive it's about and power? power? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, anyways, we get our fancy new dress sphere and a save point because up ahead is Barrelai. He's here. He's like, yeah, I knew Vegna Gun was down here. Of course I did. Well, you think I am some normal dude, but it's really important that nobody touches Vegna Gun because it's too powerful and we can't destroy it either. I would have destroyed it. Trust me. I would have totally destroyed it if I could have. Uh, so we can't, it can't be destroyed. So I'm going to defend it. And so I can't let you or Nuge down here and you can't trust Nuge either. You can only trust me. So back off and let me just stop anyone from touching Vegna Gun. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is also pain at this point. We're having a discussion, let's say, and then pain steps forward and is like, I'm going through him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, we're like, okay, cool. They're really setting up this, you know, who's, who's aiming to do what here? You know, barrel says, I'm just, you know, preventing anyone from getting to Vegna gun. So nobody can use the super weapon. And Nuge is like, I just want to destroy Vegna gun. So no one can use it, but they're, they're doing a whole lot of none of that. <laughs> and instead it really feels like there's a bit of a struggle here, but we're just going to have to, I guess, beat barrel up and find out afterwards. And, uh, I gotta say I beat this dude so fast because I was power leveled that I didn't even have a chance to get drill shot off of him. He never used drill shot once in my fight. Jeez. I killed him too fast. The wild thing is Barrelai is largely considered like, like, like I said, there is a boss that signifies the difficulty spike in this game and it's Barrelai. And I remember like, especially like when the game first came out, like that was like the boss that me and my friends all talked about at school that everyone was having trouble with. Cause like, I mean, I guess since you didn't really get a chance to see him in action very much, like he's incredibly fast. He does lots of party wide damage. Like it's one of the things yeah. where, like the area yeah, effect yeah. kind of comes into play. And like, you know, the distance that your characters are from each other actually plays into things, even though you're not actually, you know, manually controlling where anyone stands. But um, he also has like, these abilities that, you know, they cast stop and then they will just completely remove MP. So, like, that was the point where I was like, okay, White Mage is not going to be of much use here. So I kept everybody on uh, primarily uh, offensive dress spheres and was having Riku use items again. Um, and I I did not get through him the first time. I got through him the second time. The first time, like, he just wiped. Like, I, I hear, like, Yuna and Riku were wiped. And then, like, as I was trying to revive them, he cast stop on pain. So I just had to, like, sit there and watch until mm-hmm. he took her out. 
Um, the second time I ended up fighting them, I actually ended up using Yuna's special dress sphere, which I didn't really like go into the match planning to do, but just like as I moved dress spheres, I was like, okay, I'm almost there. I might as well. And um, that ended up being actually a lot easier, and I took him out a lot faster than I was expecting to. Um, because like he is, you know, in under normal circumstances where you're not, you know, using a special dress sphere or you haven't overleveled, like he's incredibly tough and kind of like plays into how fast paced the battle system is in a way that mm-hmm. nothing else mm-hmm. really before ever does. Um, just because like he is, he does about as you know two or three actions in the time it takes your party to do one, and it's a lot of uh, kind of like pre-planning to avoid a lot of the things that he does like you know the uh like all the status effects he can do um and yeah it's just it's very tough it's, a, it's an incredibly tough fight under normal circumstances Jess how do you feel about the bear life fight I don't know how you got through it <laughs> with, with like that or like that fast like I mean I yeah like I don't know that's that's just wild because he is a bitch mm. <laughs> Yeah, it it was literally a case of I had fought, like I said, I got to oversoul on Precepts Guard and I think yeah. was pretty close to oversoul on the Geo Repella as well. And I was it was all in pursuit of trying to get whatever was at the bottom of that thing, the the panels or whatever, and I didn't even get it. I was just like, oh, screw it, whatever. But then I realized, oh no, I am super high level now. <laughs> I am way higher level than I probably should be at this point, which is kind of a bummer in its own right, because I would have liked to have seen more of this fight. Um, and, and, you know, exactly. I, I did get a taste of it with he'd stopped Riku and I was like, what the heck is going on? What's, you know, Oh my God, that was my MP and Riku's not mm-hmm. moving. I, I have to like double item use here just to get her back online. And, uh, there were a few moments of that, but, um, did you did you find it to just be a more like overall challenging thing when you meet the game as it's supposed to be, Jess? Yeah, I mean, it definitely. I think that this time around, it took me a couple times to beat him. Still, I remember getting stuck on him as a kid. <laughs> it was another mm-hmm. one where like I remember like getting frustrated and not playing for a little bit because he yeah. was kind of a pain in the ass. And I was I've always been such like a. I'm just kind of playing for the story, not doing like all the extra stuff. So it's like, I sometimes run into like the problem of being underleveled and having to backtrack a little bit. Mm. Um, oh, hi, Bruce. <laughs> he doesn't fuck with Daryl. Come here. Come mm-hmm. here, buddy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like it took me a couple times and I ran into the same issue as Ken, as far as just like, he does so many moves that hit everyone mm. or like basically yeah. like knock it down to where you have one person and you're trying to bring back your party. And then like, he'll do something that fucks that person over. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, like balancing your party and keeping everybody healthy is really hard with him. It almost makes me wonder if they did put the precepts guard and the kind of repeatable, high XP bosses Mm. and encounters before that you could just like initiate yourself over and over and over again before this is a way for people to be like, Oh, I need to go back and power level uh, because I'm not where I need to be right now. Uh, But honestly, yeah, that might be, that might be a reason it is a, it's a cool fight. And I I think it extra works well that it's one character, you know, prior to now, I'd say the hardest thing that we fought was the LeBlanc Logos Orme uh, trio fight in Guadalajara. 
And that was difficult because it's three different characters that can either work in tandem or kind of buff each other up and, and work off of each other. And it's three different threats that you're having to juggle. But here it is one threat, but he is operating at a level that no other character we've seen mm-hmm. uh, operate at. And, and and we've got to deal with that in some way. We've got to fight it somehow. And I think that's cool. Um, and we go from this into another massive boss fight because we we go on and and pain is kind of like oh it's, I'll I'll tell you later what's going on much later uh and we reach the giant room where we had kind of seen uh Vegnagun in the past in spheres only now there's just a hole <laughs> in in the area and there's pyreflies around and all of a sudden Bahamut comes forth like freaking Bahamut uh, shows up this thing that we thought was gone from Spira and Riku's freaking out. And pain is like, what is it? What do you, what are we looking at here? Which I thought was kind of interesting. Put a pin in that. Um, but Riku's like, it's, it's an Aeon. It's the faith. And Yuna is obviously freaking out a bit. Cause Hey, here's your thing. That was your best friend. And, mm-hmm it's roaring at you. Like it's going to kill you. And, uh, pain is like, we have to fight it. We have to fight it. Um, and I mean, this is kind of cool because I, it's not a difficult fight. I found, Yeah. I, I think as long as you have some decent healing here and some good damage, you can get through it. All right. And obviously it is, Bahamut we know how Bahamut fights it does attack it does impulse and then it starts counting down to Mega Flare and even Mega Flare especially with protect and shell and stuff is not the party wipe that it's been in the past Um, so it's not tough but not only is this dude just a giant beefy bulky slab of meat that we've got to work our way through but it gives you a real moment I think to take in the significance of what is happening here that we are fighting this thing that was on our side at one point and uh aeons are back somehow the faith is alive somehow and yuna's having to process what that means and also kill it at the same time Mm. uh and so i think it really works in that respect i think we go from this really interesting combat challenge that pushes us and challenges us to I, I mean, I think story being told through gameplay and right. I think that's cool. I like that a lot. How'd you feel about it, Ken? I think it also, like, I, mean, I think we even talked about this when you were last on just about like the significance of when a Final Fantasy game doesn't put on a battle theme while you're mm-hmm. doing a fight. Mm-hmm. Cause it's playing like one of the, like the piano themes in this game, which is called Union's Ballad, which is one of my favorite pieces mm-hmm. in the whole game. And, you know, it's, generally played throughout the game at any point when like units like having to really wrestle with a lot of these things. And, uh, just having that, really somber song playing out in front of like a you know in the background of a uh, longer battle with you know this, this character that we know very well and like so nothing that it ever does in the actual fight is surprising and that in, a, in and of itself is you know it's challenging in its own way and tragic um and yeah like you were saying it's not a difficult fight but it is you know it is tumultuous in how long and like painful it is to drag yourself through it because it that is it working you know, it's got all it's firing on all cylinders here to really sell the, the significance of the moment. 
it's yeah, it's purposely set up to be very emotionally taxing, mm-hmm. more so mm-hmm. than anything. As you sit there, just like wailing on him. Right. It is. It's a lot. It's a big moment. And and even once we. I I mean, once we beat it, I like that you mentioned this here, Ken, that like Bahamut has some significance in terms of Final Fantasy X, that Mm -hmm. Bahamut is not, you know, this could have been Veil 4 and had a moment for Yuna specifically that would have felt very personal. But Bahamut in Final Fantasy X is the faith that guided Tidus specifically. It was so tied to Tidus as a character and the overall like kind of revolution that the faith was staging against the practice of sin and the spiral of death and all that. And to have that character specifically be the first one to show up that we've got to deal with as suddenly, Oh, these aeons are back and they're causing problems. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And Yuna has a moment about it is like, why is this happening? What's going on here? And it's, it's tough. It mm-hmm. is tough. This this part hit me pretty good. Yeah. Um. And then we look around, and there's a big Vegnagun shaped hole in the wall. Yeah. Uh. And we're like, well, Vegnagun's not here, I mm-hmm. guess. Um. And as we kind of internalize and think about, you know, the calm is not really so calm anymore brother hops on the comms to be like, there's something going on. You got to come back up here. And that's the end of the chapter. Like we, we so quickly go from end of chapter one. Everybody's happy. Let's go on a super awesome quest. Let's find things. Let's hunt spears to, Oh, things are getting real messed up in Spira Mm -hmm. and everything is amiss. And the calm is not so calm after all. Um, I don't know, Jess, it feels like a dire moment to leave this all off on. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's it's not the best. It kind of honestly reminds me, like, when when I was here doing the last episode, it was, mm-hmm. like, kind of like a similar situation when we left where it's like, mm, well, that's not good. Yep. Why do we you keep coming on for just the dire episodes? <laughs> mm. uh, Ken, how are you feeling at this point in the story? I, I, I've been thinking, I guess, through this episode, I've been thinking about how we've, like, comparing the stakes and the scope of what's going on in 10 versus the original game. And mm-hmm. you, like even comparing like the, the first time you see Bahamut in the first game versus the time you, you see him in this one, like there are just the emotional reaction. I think the game's expecting you to have is just so markedly different. Cause like, you know, when you first see Bahamut in 10, like you're supposed to like be in awe of this thing. And I think kind of getting to this point where you're seeing him now and it is like this, it, this weight, this emotional, draining scene like kind of i it's almost like signifies the journey that we have been on up to this point of being like you know all of these things are taking on new contexts and not all of them are for the good and not all of them for the better and mm-hmm. um because i i think that's broadly you know the point of ten two is that everything is you know a lot of it is like you know the more things seem to change the more things are the same but like now nothing is sacred and everything is going to be pushed on you in like different contexts and different uh struggles that we're gonna have to deal with and yeah i just i'm thinking a lot about like the, the last things that seymour said as he was dying is that like even with sin gone like this world is still broken in ways that you can't even uh predict at that point it is it's a wild situation 
And it's one that we're going to have to really contend with as we head into chapter three, which I imagine will be a quite pivotal chapter in terms of what we are seeing here. But for now, we're going to have to leave on that note. We are, after all, Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast that takes its time getting through this game. So you'll have to wait for next episode <laughs> to, to hear what's going on. But until then, as always, you can always check us out on patreon.com slash FM and back us and support us in all the things that we do. Uh, any level will get you into the backer discord where we hang out and chat. We have a next level up that will get you these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them. And if you've been following on that feed, you are very ahead of the free feed right now. (laughs) Good job for you. Ken and I might have to come up with some way to thank y'all or something because we're putting these episodes out. Like at this point, we're still maybe a month ahead of Mm -hmm. when they go on the free feed. But man, we are we are ahead ahead at this point. Uh, so maybe we'll look into something of a special that we can do. Yeah, we we haven't done a mailbag in a while. Maybe we should do a mailbag. Uh, look into that. But uh, at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every episode here on the podcast. And this episode, that list includes just Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Micah Mante, and Shane Erickson, thank you all so much for contributing and keeping us going through all these episodes and giving us the chance to bring on wonderful guests like the one and only Jessica Howard here. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I always love being on here. It's always so much fun. Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you want to shout out here? Not really. I'll uh, I'll do the typical thing and say you can follow me on Twitter at a wild Jessichu, and I share basically everything I do. Arguably too much, um, and everything that I do there work wise uh, on on that Twitter. So, shoutouts to the big three MHA. We gotta rep yeah. the my hero fans <laughs> in this industry. I I need to get caught up. I keep having that moment where I'm like, ah. Oh, I think oh. some good stuff's coming up, so I need to get caught up it's in, so good. in that pace with the anime. I haven't even watched the movies yet. I, I haven't even oh. seen the movies, so yeah, maybe I'll you, start uh, there. You, you, gotta, you gotta get on those. And also, yeah, I mean, if you haven't finished season five yet, mm. good stuff. Okay, I might look into Depressing that stuff, good stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, this this show, what are we, fans of depression around here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you were, you were talking about doing the Ava podcast, so I feel like you're good. <laughs> I Well, I think Ken and I at least are probably Ava'd out at this point <laughs> after now doing, I mean, well, we've never podcasted about it, but, but Ken and I have had many discussions about Ava mm-hmm. over the last year. So, uh, I don't know, maybe one day down the line, we got to get through cyberpunk first. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Before we do that, we have much more Ten Two to get to, so we will see you next time here for Chapter 3, Part 1 on Normandy FM. Normandy FM.